So yesterday I used a method uh, without uh, explaining and I would like to flesh it out a little uh, so that you might uh, take it with you for your own practice and that's uh, a technique or a practice called inquiry or self-inquiry and you find uh, the practice of self-inquiry uh, within Tibetan Buddhism, particularly in the Mahamudra tradition. And it's uh, in, some, in, in some schools uh, outside of uh, the Buddhist teachings, it's the main spiritual practice. And uh, it's also a practice, uh, a technique used uh, in the Zen tradition self-inquiry or inquiry, which is basically a certain way to ask certain questions. So before I explain, um, kind of two, two warnings, two disclaimers. Uh, the first one, self-inquiry as all spiritual practices can be used to try to bypass how you feel. So that's something to be aware of. So whatever you do, whatever kind of practice you do, uh, mantra, uh, yoga, uh, uh, tonglen, uh, uh, a tantric sadhana, a mantra, uh, there's always that possibility that uh, you try to use that to bypass how you feel in the present moment. So one suggestion here is, before you do anything, uh, to really take the time to sit in the model of the experience and to feel the present moment as deeply as possible without getting overwhelmed by it. So that doesn't mean that you come to a, a conclusion there or to an end because emotional, emotional complexes, they have many depths and probably one needs to return again and again, like layer by layer, and increase your capacity to, to be with uh, a difficult feeling, like shame, like guilt, like anxiety, grief. A helpful suggestion is, as part of your daily practice, that you also do a, just a checking in. What is here? And how deep can I feel this? Can I hold this? And then move into mantra or light visualization or, or in this case, inquiry. So one example for inquiry is, uh, maybe if you remember the sharing of Eric yesterday. Uh, so that is a good example of a self-inquiry which kind of arises spontaneously out of the meditation. It was nothing I told you to do or Eric didn't pick up an instruction, but it was just a, 
a wonderment, just a question arising. And his question was, the awareness, where does it come from? That's an inquiry question. And actually that kind of question, which kind of, they are called natural koans. So in in the Japanese tradition, that kind of inquiry questions, they are called koans. That kind of natural inquiry question, they are maybe almost the best because um, it's uh, it's something which a curiosity naturally arises in you, not because someone told you to ask the question. So you you really are in the question with your heart and with your because it's it's like something which arises from within you. So one thing important in in inquiry is that you put your deepest longing for truth behind it. That's why, you know, if I suggest uh, an inquiry question like, who am I, you know, it would be like, that's kind of the one question of Ramana Maharashi, you know, that's all they do. I mean, you come with, to him in an interview and you ask your question, what should I do and things like that, and he cuts through the shit and says, who's asking the question, who are you? Find that out first before you try to solve anything. Why? What's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? He would just say, doesn't matter. Who are you? Who is asking the question? That's the important thing. Find that out first before you do anything else. Yeah, but so if I now suggest that question, maybe your response is, I give a shit. This is... I'm, I'm just not interested. It doesn't make sense, this question. How would that help me with my problems? Yeah. So that's why this kind of uh, natural questions which arises in, in, uh, in, uh, in a meditation where maybe the, like the, the, the initial intention in the meditation is to cultivate attentional stability. So you do that and you do that and you do that. And, and then suddenly the question arises, hey, wait a moment, the attention, you know, that, that attention, what is that actually? And what's the source of that attention? Yeah. At one point, uh, for most people, that kind of question just arises naturally. And, 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 and so in, in that moment, uh, meditation, which was started as the practice of attentional stability turns into a wisdom practice, turns into a liberating practice. Because you can, you can cultivate a sense of, uh, you can cultivate attentional stability to a degree that you're really fine there, but it doesn't liberate you. It's a temporary peace of the mind. You don't have problems in that moment because you don't think about your problems. But then you get out of meditation and the first thing which happened, happens triggers your anxiety. Because you have not addressed the root problem. So this is 
the importance and it's so much emphasized in the Tibetan tradition attentional stability and vipassana shamatha and vipassana lakdong and china in, in the Tibetan language they need to come together and one way to bring the wisdom part into our meditation is uh, self-inquiry. Self-inquiry is the question. So, uh, to bring your deepest yearning. So this is uh, you know, what very easily happens also with other practices we do them half-heartedly. A kind of bit of a hobby, not like yeah, doing some walking meditation, but it's like, you know, you don't bring your being into it. You don't burn for it. And, and that's not going to bring you far. A, look, a lukewarm practice will remain a lukewarm practice. Nothing will happen. It's fine. It's healthy. Probably your blood pressure will decrease with time. And that's it. Maybe you will start to become a bit more kind to yourself. But uh, so for self-inquiry to to have, have the potential to bring you to a place of no suffering forever. I'm saying no suffering. I'm not saying no pain. I, I'm not saying no pain. I'm saying no suffering. Uh, and the question is, is that burning in you. And if not, yeah, if, if, uh, if, there's, uh, if there is no yearning for truth, no yearning for reality, no, no yearning for liberation, then there's plenty of Buddhist teachings for noble truth. Twelve links of dependent arising, all the Lamrim teachings, they are actually teachings on the conceptual level, which uh, the teachings on renunciation, yeah, which uh, are meant as preparation to, uh, to, uh, to connect us with that uncomprising wish for liberation. And it is an uncompromising wish, uh, uncompromising longing for liberation, which is not like based on, uh, you know, some 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 unclear hope or you know something. It's based on your intuition. That's something in you. I mean, when you first, the first time when you heard a word like enlightenment or liberation, or you read the story of the Buddha. You picked up your first book, you met the Dalai Lama, something in, res in you resonated, and it said, That's it! It's possible! It's possible 
for me. In this life, not in the, and I'm not talking about enlightenment. So let's let's put away this uh, myth of how enlightenment is described in the Tibetan tradition. I I'm not sure if, if that is <laughs> that is an option or this is just a compass or yeah, because I have no experience of it. So I don't use the word enlightenment. If when I use the word enlightenment, what I mean is the myth of uh, Buddhahood, perfection, in the Tibetan tradition, and I have no idea what that is, if that is, if that even exists, or if the process of an awakening is an ongoing process, layer after layer, forever in infinity. But I'm talking about liberation. And liberation is possible in this life. It's so close. In the, in the Tibetan tradition, they say, you know, if you kind of make a leap now into the idea that uh, there is this infinite stream of consciousness which manifests in this life, in this body, as me. So if you... If you if you get a sense of that infinite journey and it's translated into someone shooting an arrow and the, 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 the target is 200 meters. So you shoot the arrow and we are, and that's what they say in the Tibetan tradition, we are so close to liberation, the arrow has already touched, touched the, the goal. It's like that moment where it touches. It's, it's just like, it's almost there. So we are that close to liberation. What do you think? I don't think you. <laughs> That's yeah. not good enough. That, 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 that is the beginning. Yeah, yeah good. That is, uh, that is the beginning. But yeah. trust the Dalai Lama. It's probably, uh, that, that's probably uh, 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 better. Yeah. Uh, but um, what is very likely for, uh, for all of us uh, here is, um, because that's why we're here. I mean, it's quite an investment of time and money. So... Uh, I'm kind of assuming that in different ways you all have heard that call in your life. And maybe then it got a bit got a bit cluttered with, you know, family and career and stuff like that. Uh, but uh are we so um so I got uh, that was a sidetrack. Uh, because I, I wanted to make another disclaimer. I, I will come back to this. So the first is, uh, kind of warning was the, you know, just pointing to spiritual bypassing, what is called spiritual bypassing. The other is uh, self-inquiry, if done with that uh, uh, burning I, I just um, described, um, will bring up shit. So if you are in your, into your practice to feel better, I don't recommend 
I don't recommend any spiritual practice, actually. I mean, I recommend mindfulness and breathing meditation and a bit of sloppy yoga, but, uh, but, but I don't recommend spirit, spiritual practice in the sense how it is understood in the Tibetan tradition. Because uh, not only it will not provide you with that kind of comfort you, you might expect from your spiritual practice, it might, at least for periods, make it much worse. So, and, and, and that's also now, uh, I'm saying that also for those people who have put their heart into any kind of spiritual practice and they wonder, hey, what's this? I'm, I'm meditating my ass off and, and I feel I have periods of more anxiety, more darkness, more grief, more guilt than before. I want my money back. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Uh, what's her name? Uh, it's a huge book. Tweedy is her name. She went to India and studied with this uh, uh, Sufi master there. And, uh, and she said, I wish in front of the temple there was someone with a big drum pronouncing, don't go in there, don't go in there. <laughs> and and Trungpa Rinpoche's advice is, uh, the best is you don't start. But uh, if you start it, get over it as quickly as possible. <laughs> So whenever you have, uh, no, and of course I'm doing it myself, I mean, in, in, in my marketing, which almost doesn't exist, but, but uh, you know, I'm not writing, come here and feel, feel worse, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, whenever you get a flyer you know, about mindfulness practice where it says, you know, this and that, and it's like, it's all bullshit, It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. And now they start to talk about it. Now you start, you see the first articles written about all the things which can happen in a mindfulness retreat. Yeah. And, and kind of really starting to consider, is that actually something we can wholeheartedly uh, give to people? Should we screen them before or something like that? So I'm saying that. And I'm also saying this because there's nothing wrong with you. It's supposed to happen. It's a good sign. If you find yourself in, in the Christian tradition, they have a term for that. They call it the dark night of the soul. So it's not like something which only happens to you or something. It's, it's, a, common, it's a common experience. And, and, and you know you can explain it through that you know when when your uh, when your mind identification meaning the, the identification with a conceptual level 
where also where all your defense mechanism also live. You know, when that becomes a bit more loose, when the identification comes less, then of course deeper layers of your being can come can pour out, come can come can can come from the subconscious into your conscious mind. It's not that the practice created them. They were there all the, all, all, the, all the time. You were just a master in suppressing, not looking there. So, back to self-inquiry. So, the first thing, the, the kind of nurturing the flame of passion for the practice. And one reason to come to weekends like this is to remind ourselves, each other, what's actually important in my life. Yeah. To, to rekindle that precious flame, the fire, the fire which wants to, which wants to burn you free. Yes. And, and, and reading and studying is, is a lot about rekindling that fire and starting to protect it and and starting to see because we'll we are, we are looking at it together so uh, starting to feel less alone with it because it's still the case that most people around you they have not they have not touched that fire yet in their heart burns the the, the hope that Happiness and contentment lies in family and career and making money and being successful in the world. So uh, that that is called renunciation to see, hey, it's wonderful to do these things and let your and let your creativity play there and there's so much to learn in relationships and family and, and work but it's not uh, going to bring you home. So that's why it's important, you know, to, so to connect that burning for truth uh, with the question. So that means also there needs to be uh, room and creativity to find or to formulate Questions which which work for you, which which you can become passionate about. So this is not a practice when I say, okay, let's let's work with the question, who am I? You know, then you might be if you're a good boy, a good girl, you you you, you would you know you would try. So who am I? Who am I? <laughs> of course, nothing happens. So that's uh, the first thing. The other thing, and it's kind of paradoxical here, it's, it's kind of finding a, a, like a sweet spot between that burning and surrender. So kind of that burning and that passion and that real interest in this question. So you start to, you start to, you know, that's what, you know, they in the koan tradition they they work they go through a series of this kind of questions and and their whole being go into the question it becomes really a matter of life and death they ask that question as if their life depends on it but then there is also the surrender 
because the, the question uh, so this is probably the most important point the question is not meant to be answered with the conceptual mind so we are not asking a question so who am I and then we go into psychology, philosophy reading books, what's consciousness 800 800 pages around what is consciousness, yeah, different theory about consciousness. Yeah, so that has its place, and it's it's fun to do that. Uh, but in self-inquiry, the self-inquiry question is supposed to be a kind of bridge into a non-conceptual direct experience of what you could call non-duality. And we don't know what non-duality is. We don't need to know what non-duality is because we can't know it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't need to explain what non-duality is because it's not something, uh, it's not an object of knowledge. But just to give it a name, you could also call it oneness or pure consciousness or Buddha nature or, you know, uh, awareness or life, reality, uh, quantum soup. It doesn't matter what you call it. Just be aware that all these words are just mentioned. They are not it. They are just like, you know, some sound. I could also say moo. Mu. <laughs> there is actually one of the famous koans they use is what is mu? Yeah? <laughs> Probably you know the, the, uh, the, the uh, another famous koan is uh, what's the sound of one hand clapping? Yeah? Try to be passionate about that. <laughs> Another one more po poetic, beautiful is, what is your original face before your parents were born? What is your original face before your parents were born? So, you ask that question with that burning behind it, burning for truth. It becomes, I mean, it's like, no, it's, it becomes everything, this question. No other interest. At least for the time of self-inquiry. So, but then, um, so this question is a kind of vehicle uh, it carries, you know, Jesus says, if you knock at the door, it will be open. But you have to knock. And you, ha you, you, you can't knock like, like ding, yeah? No, it's like, <laughs> boom, 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 yeah? Oh yeah, I'm also here. <laughs> no, no. 
but then, yeah, so then obviously there, there could be, uh, you know, too much expectation, too much grasping. It could be too ego-driven, yeah? So it's very important that, that we balance it with surrender. So the, the, the self-inquiry is a healthy mixture between burning and devotion. The question, the, the, the inquiry question becomes your praise for the divine. And it's out of your control. Or let's say it's out of the control of the narrative self. You, you can't bring yourself here, the small yourself. Into the gate, you can't bring yourself through the gateless gate. So the self-inquiry question is supposed to point out that there's nobody asking the question. It's ego death, you could say. It's also a stupid word because nothing dies. It's just recognized that it doesn't exist that it is just an empty process, what we would call the ego. So as with all other practices, one needs to play with it and, and try different things. Don't give up too early. Of course, also with all other practices, maybe that's not your thing. Yeah? But in order to find out that it is not your thing, you need to give it a, a real try. And not only once. And not only twice. But I guess after a few months, you could, you could kind of make a reasonable decision. No, this is, it's just not, it's too much words. Or something like that. That's the other thing. It's not so much about the words. It's about the looking. So at one point, if you become familiar what is actually initiated through the self-inquiry, the words fall away. And your 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 the, because the this uh, loving curiosity which comes forwards through the uh, through the uh, through the self-inquiry question. That's the thing, yeah? So it's not the question, it's, it's that loving curiosity. Um, and at one point, that movement will happen without words, without question. It's just happening. It becomes an ongoing movement. And uh, self-inquiry, also in that when we, when we go beyond the words, is an ongoing process. So it's not like you do it for a few times and then you have the breakthrough and then that's it, that's the end, I'm done. Uh, I, I don't think anyone is done at least on planet Earth. 
So don't ex so don't expect to self inquire through any kind of spiritual practice that this there's this boom and then you're done. Yeah. No, it's an ongoing process and maybe for eternity into infinity. Deeper and deeper awakening. At least that myth makes more sense for me. But I hold it lightly, like I hold everything lightly. I, I don't believe what I'm saying. Not, not in that way how people would uh, understand belief. Yeah, so. But I, I have maps, and I prefer some maps. But I'm very flexible in throwing them away and, and using some other map. I'm not we attached. Need, we need the maps. Yeah. Because yes. I feel like mm. Yes. Um, so now the questions. And uh, I, um, yes, in the meditations yesterday, I, I shared some of the questions. And, you know, in, it, it's, it's part of most of my, my guided meditations. Uh, you, you, there will be questions. You know? Like, is peace here? Or, uh, who is experiencing this? Who is the experiencer? The next thought you're going to have, where will it come from? So you look. So that, that's the looking, and then you rest in the looking. You surrender into the looking. And we are not looking for, for, we don't looking, we are not looking for feelings, we are not looking for mental images, we are not looking for any inner dialogue. We just look. So the, the question you're supposed to open the door and then you look. And there's nothing there. There's nothing there. But it's the special nothing. The full nothing. The nothing which is everything. The, the, the end of seeking. It's, it's the end of seeking. Another question would be, like, if you work with, uh, for example, you have an experience of anxiety, restlessness, what is this? What is this? Okay, there's thoughts. They come and go, so for sure that's not anxiety. There's just thoughts. So then you go into your body. What is this? Okay, I call it anxiety. That's just a label. But what is behind it? What is it actually? What's the reference object for the word anxiety? So you look. And then you find some energy. What is this? What is it actually? Why am I afraid of this? So th th all of this, like why, why am I afraid of this, of this energy? Again, it's not a question 
where we go into the head and contemplate, it's a question which keeps us engaged and open and curious and going deeper into reality, into what is actually there. Another question would be, like, you, you know, you do a, a attentional stability meditation with the breath and so on, and then you started to notice, wow, I'm, there's always thoughts, it's uninterrupted, and wow, I'm more in my thoughts, and what should I do with this? And then suddenly the question arises, what are actually thoughts? What are they? What are they made of? What's the stuff? So you kind of, for a moment, you, you, don't, you are not interested in the content anymore of the thoughts, what they talk about, apparently. They seem to talk about something real. But you, you, you ask the question, what is it actually? Certainly, I can see that most of my stress is coming through my thoughts, so they must be something. They, they do exist, right? They must be made of something. I mean, something which exists must be made of something. And it must have a place. In order to, for to exist, and obviously they exist because we're experiencing them, they must be, they, they must be somewhere. They must be made out of something and they must be somewhere. So then naturally the question, this question arises. What is it? Where are they? And what are they made of? And then you look, and then you rest in the looking. This, uh, the, the self-inquiry practice is directly threatening the identification with the narrative self. And the narrative self, the complex of the narrative self, the identification with mind stuff, has its own defense mechanism. Yeah? It's, it's almost like a parasite which gets afraid. Yeah? It, it starts to feel threatened. So uh, there, will be, there will be attempts of the thought processes to protect themselves. And that can be emotional defenses and a very common, 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 uh, common one is um, a kind of anxiety, a kind of fear. So the, the processes of the narrative self, they whisper into your ear, stop looking there. It's scary. It's, a, it's dangerous to go there. You're going to lose your mind. So if you lose your anxiety, who is going to uh, go, go, go up in the morning and go for work? Because that's, that's the main thing why we go for work, because we're afraid. So if that falls away, hey, are we going to starve? Are we going to end up in, at the street? Another defense mechanism could be boredom. Oh, this is so boring, it's just philosophy. It's just thinking, it has nothing to do with my life. 
And it's also so complicated. You know, I, I, we can't understand that because we don't have a PhD in philosophy. Philosophy, who do you think you are? I mean, this is a question that the Buddha can ask and the Dalai Lama, but me, without a PhD in philosophy and psychology, I'm too stupid for that. No, let's do something else. Let's think about it. Let's try to find the... Rely on me, the narrative said. Rely on me. Come back to the, to, the, to the mirror hall of thoughts leading to another thought, leading to another thought with a, with a hope, with a fantasy that there will be a better life in the future, which we now can think about it. And that thought about the better future will make you feel better now, poor you. I'm so kind. I'm your best friend. I'm your ally. Why are we constructing like that? Yeah, I will just continue to talk now. And then we will meditate. Okay. I think that's about it. We will do it like yesterday, you know, do, uh, do some movements so we come back to the body and can let some possible reaction to what I said right now kind of uh, dissolve again through movement. Uh, and then uh, we will uh, uh, sit and uh, uh, spending some time with attentional stability, calming down, breath, body, sound, so whatever. And, and then I will uh, just uh, suggest some inquiry questions. And you can you know, play with them a little. Maybe there's other formulations coming for you, which are more in your style, in your words, uh, but so that you start to become familiar. And that's, in the Tibetan tradition, that would be a common way to practice self-inquiry. So you do the, what I sometimes call the entry protocol, taking refuge, bodhicitta, doing a tantric sadhana maybe, or some breathing meditation, some yoga. So, so that's like all the practices. And then you do the self-inquiry like in a formal way. Like at the end of your breathing meditation for five minutes, you, you, you do the self-inquiry. But also, of course, self-inquiry is, uh, is then when you become a bit familiar, when, you, when it clicks. And it might take some time to, to, so that, that you kind of understand the, you, that you have a, an intuition of that process. So then it's a wonderful practice in daily life. A wonderful practice when in the night you, you wake up and you can't sleep. A wonderful practice uh, for that time before you fall asleep. Yeah? A wonderful practice to when you wake up in the morning and maybe there's some darkness uh, to stay in bed and to do some self-inquiry. You know? A wonderful practice in any moment where there's reactivity, where you're, where you're triggered. Yeah? Uh, so the, the, the uh, self-inquiry question could be something slowly, slowly be kind of coming into your life and spontaneously appearing in daily life. Yeah? Who is experiencing this, for example? Or what is experiencing this? 
So it's like, so you, 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 you shift into your body, you feel what you feel, and then what is experiencing this? And if you're familiar, if you have become familiar with this process through your formal practice, then in that moment, when you ask it in daily life, what is experiencing this? A space opens up. It is seen that there is nobody, that there is not a separate solid me experiencing this, that nothing is really threatened. 